as we jump into Matthew chapter number 13. This is kind of a change of pace from what we've seen in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is divided up by five what we would call discourses. Um, discourse meaning a sermon of Jesus. This is the third of those five sermons. And so as we look at it, we've already covered the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we saw another discourse to his disciples as he's sending them out in chapters 10, chapter 10, right? 10 and 11, coming into 11. And then as we come into chapter number 13, this is the third of those discourses. And this is what some people call, you ready for the technical term, the big word? Uh, it's the parabolic discourse. Parabolic discourse. Here's what it means. Uh, it means he's telling stories. <laughs> so what he's doing is throughout this chapter, all of chapter 13, he's speaking through what we would call parables. Parables. Now, parables were a common way, especially of Jesus' teaching. And what it is, is Jesus is telling a story that gives insight into the kingdom. It gives insight into the kingdom of God, the way that things work in God's economy. Now, as we look at this, we want to understand that that's what a parable is. On this here that we look at in chapter 13 is one of the best known parables of Jesus. I would argue this is probably the best known parable that Matthew records. If you flip over to the book of Luke, Matthew and Luke are both what we would call synoptic gospels. And that word synoptic is, um, it sounds fancy, but here's what it means. Uh, that word syn, S-Y-N, comes from the word synchronized. Uh, what does the word synchronized mean? It means that people are doing something together. They're doing it together. And so they see together the word optic coming from optrician, which is a doctor who observes his eyes, right? And so we have synoptic, they see together. So Matthew and Luke are both part of these synoptic gospels. Now, as we look at this, chapter number 13, verse number one, let's see what is taking place introducing these parables. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And so this crowd is following after Jesus. And this is the first of these discourses that is addressed to the crowds. In the Sermon on the Mount, who is he speaking to? There are crowds present, but most clearly it looks like he's speaking to his disciples, those who are followers of him. As we come to chapters 10 and 11, he's speaking primarily to his disciples, telling them the things that are going to come, the things the persecution is going to come, how they ought to live within the world. And then here we come to chapter number 13. But now he's not addressing merely his disciples. He's addressing verse number three. He told them who the crowds, many things in parables. And so as we look at this, he's addressing the crowds and he's telling this story. And what story is he telling? A sower went out to sow. Um, now, for those of us um, who, when I was young, I thought of when it says a sower, I'm thinking of someone sitting down um, with yarn uh, or with string and with a needle, right? And they're going to, I'm like, oh, a sower went out to sow, right? Um, so I don't know why they don't stay in to sow, but whatever, not my business. Uh, but no, what's taking place? Is a sower is one who is sowing or spreading seed. So this is a farmer, if you will. Uh, today, we have the combines, and we have all these modern tools, and this modern equipment. Even centuries ago, there were certain mechanical versions of these. Well, this is first century in the Middle East, and so what they had is they had sowers. And so it's time to plant the crops. They would get the field all ready, and then they would go, and they would take the seed, and they would scatter the seed, or they would sow the seed. And so he tells this story, which is a very commonplace story. 
This would happen on every field that was going to bear any type of crop. A sower would go out to sow. So nothing extraordinary about the story that Jesus is telling. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And as we look at the the path, what we see is we see that the sower and the seed, there's nothing uh, significant, nothing that's told about the sower or told about the seed, but just where the seed has fallen at this point. And so we're going to see how the seed interacts with different types of soil, the first of which is the path. And so as the seed falls on the path, what does the Bible tell us? The birds came and devoured them. So what is the path? How many of you, um, you like walking outside when the weather is not like it is today? How many of you like walking outside like the weather is today? All right, one. Okay, good. (laughs) Oh, two. And you're both 10 years old. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, Kids, my kids want to go outside. They're like, oh, let's go play outside, all right? I'm like, no, it's seven degrees. No, you can go play outside. Have fun, man. My three-year-old. So we say, but when we go outside, we like to walk on paths. Maybe some of you guys are trailblazers. You like to walk off the beaten path, right? Um, If you're like me, you like paths. Now, what happens to the ground on the path? What kind of fruit grows? What kind of seeds grow on a path? None. Wow. So responsive and losing an hour of sleep. Uh, Amazing. So nothing grows on the path. Why? Because it's hard, right? It's been beaten down. If anything were to begin to take root, what would happen? It would be crushed as feet go over the path. Now, you and I, we drive on roads that are paved. Um, we live near uh, the north side of the river. And so there is a sidewalk there that you can walk on. And it's, it's concrete, right? It's wonderful. But even if that concrete were there, what would happen? That dirt would get packed down from enough people walking on it that nothing would grow on that path. And so as the sower goes out, parts of their field butt up against the path, the roads that people would walk from one place to another. And so as they're scattering, some of those seeds will go off of his field and fall on the path. And what would happen to those seeds on the path? They would grow and there would be a beautiful no. The birds would say, oh, look, there's a seed. Swoop down, begin pecking at it. And they would devour the seed before it had the chance to take root. Now he continues. He says, other seeds, verse number five, fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. And so what's taking place? This seed has fallen on a ground that maybe above the surface looked good. Maybe you see a few stones in there, but it looks otherwise good. And so that seed begins to germinate, begins to sprout. And then what happens? Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And so these seeds begin to take root, but then the sun came up. And the heat of summer began to beat down on these seeds. And so that plant thrived during the drought because its roots were... No, the drought came, the sun beats down, and there's no root for the seed to be able to attach to. So it shrivels up and it dies. Continue with me, middle of verse number... I'm sorry, verse number seven. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. If you garden, um, what's probably the most tedious part of gardening? 
Weeding. I'm glad you guys all agree with me. No one's saying anything else. Right? Weeding is like the bane of my existence. When I was a kid, um, even a teenager, my parents, um, they wanted to have a garden, but they didn't want to weed. So guess who weeded? I did. This is why I don't have gardens anymore. <laughs> Traumatized. Uh, it's so tedious. You have to go out there and you have to pick up these weeds. Why? Why don't you just let the weeds grow up with the fruit? Because the weeds are going to take the nutrients. The weeds are going to pull away from the fruit. And so here some uh, seed fell among thorns. And that seed grew up because it overcame the thorns. No, the thorns choked it out. It was just a sapling. It had no chance against these weeds that had been growing up. And so it comes and it chokes it. Verse number eight, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. We're going to come back to this. Those are some good returns. (laughs) He who has ears to hear, he who has ears, let him hear. Verse number nine. And so you clear as mud, right? All right, let's all pray. Amen. We're out of here. And so Jesus concludes this portion of his teaching. And what happens in verse number 10? The disciples, they come to him and they said, "Uh, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them to you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so as we begin to look at the reason that Jesus is even speaking in these parables, we begin to enter into a a concept um, that I call the stewardship of faith. The stewardship of faith. As a steward, we are one who is responsible for behaving appropriately with something that has been given to us. And can I tell you how you respond to God matters? How you respond to God matters. See, Jesus, as he's speaking to this crowd, he's speaking to a crowd of people where some of them have made the decision to follow after him. And they say, I'm going to have faith in the things that he's saying. But even among that crowd, there are those who would choose not to see or to hear or to understand. And so here, Jesus introduces this concept. And as we look at this, I want to very clearly say that God is less concerned about the things that you don't know yet than about the things that you know and aren't following. You follow what I'm saying? To make any kind of sense, maybe I can say it this way. Uh, ask you a question. What are you doing with the things that you know? What are you doing with the things that you know? Oftentimes, we look at the scripture and you say, well, I don't have all the answers yet. Well, can I tell you, first of all, you're never going to have all the answers. Very, I, right? You're never going to have all the answers. In tandem with that, 
We're always continuing, we should be, always continuing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that means that we're continuing to grow. But, but if you are sitting in a place where God has put things on your heart, if you know the steps to take and you're not taking them, why would we be expecting God to continue to do deeper things in our hearts? Uh, my um, oldest child is in kindergarten, all right? I can't believe that, all right? <laughs> but my oldest child is in kindergarten. Um, do you know what she's learning in her math class right now? She's learning calculus. Does anyone believe that? <laughs> no, no, it's ridiculous. Of course not. She's learning like how to add and subtract. And so she's like in like the four plus three phase and she's using her fingers and she's doing a great job. And if you tell her otherwise, just kidding. But what is she doing? She's in kindergarten math. But what takes place is she, as she masters that addition, she's going to move on to more difficult things like multiplication, division, then begin to work in formulas and fractions and all these other things, right? You don't jump from here is a number, count to 10. All right, here is a trigonometric, trigonometric. All right, I'm not a mathematician, guys. I'm a pastor. Uh, listen, why would you do that to someone? That's not how you teach things. But yet we want God to reveal all this stuff to us when we're not even behaving in accordance to the things that he's already revealed to us. It's a stewardship of our faith that takes place. So you want to grow in your faith? Let me encourage you. Don't quench the spirit by resisting the things that he's already showed you. When he reveals things to you, you know what we respond to God with? Yes. Okay. But, hmm, but Nate, it's uncomfortable. I know. Trust me. I can tell you plenty of stories. I know. Oh, but, but what if it doesn't? Hey, listen. <laughs> When the Holy Spirit of God calls us and moves us, our response isn't to figure everything out. All right, if you're a little type A like me, you want to figure everything out. And you want to know how everything's going to come into place. Can I tell you very clearly, God doesn't work that way. Because that's what we call sight. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you can see it, it's not faith. If you can see it, it's not faith. Those two are in contradiction to each other. So here as he's writing, as Isaiah is writing and Jesus is quoting, and what kind of vision is he speaking of? He's speaking of a spiritual vision. The things that God is going to bring about. Well, watch as we keep going through this. Watch what's happening here. We see not only that, but we see the blessings of faith. So we see the stewardship that must take place, the stewardship of faith, but we also see at the end here, the blessings of faith. And watch what he says. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. What's he talking about? I think he's talking about Isaiah. Because Isaiah prophesied of these things, but... By the time this is written, Isaiah had been dead for about 700 years. So did Isaiah see these things that he's prophesying about? No. Isaiah longed for them, and he looked forward to them and saw glimpses of them. But did Isaiah reap, reap, reap the fruit? That's those two words combined. Reap the fruits of the faith that he had. Did Isaiah reap the fruit? No. 
No. And I want you to understand this. So often we get enamored by fruit that we want that fruit to come. This is why I can't be a gardener. Number one, weeding. Number two, I don't have a lot of patience. And so I'm the guy that I put the seed in the ground and then I come back the next day and I'm like, oh, where's that fruit? Where's that apple? I planted the tree yesterday. But that's not how it works. And so is the same with the seeds of our faith. And I want you to understand that the blessings of faith are not reserved for the immediate generation, but these blessings extend to our future generations. And can I say, I'm grateful for the work that God is doing among the future generations of Heritage Baptist Church. Can I say I'm grateful for that? You see, as I look around, as we see the things that are taking place, uh, it's easy for us to look at uh, a generation that's coming after us and kind of look at them with a little bit of skepticism right? Some of you look at me and you're like, this is a child. Okay. I won't tell you what year I was born in um, because some of you will, it'll confirm every belief. Uh, Some people in here, let me tell you that if you think I'm on the baby end, there's some people in here that think I have a foot in the grave. Michael, he's laughing because he's basically told me this. He wants my Jeep when I die. (laughs) So listen, we have to understand But the fact is, is that as we are sowing these seeds, many of these seeds, we will not see the fruit of. We won't. We won't. Does that mean we don't sow? No. No, of course not. We continue to sow. And I'm glad for a church that sees the value in that sowing. In this building today, we have give or take. I'm just going based on averages. I don't know today. Um, between our heritage kids and our nursery space, we have about 20 kids that are under sixth grade in this building today. Praise God, right? Praise God, right? But listen, some of us, a lot of us won't be around to reap the fruit of those kids. It's just a matter of fact of life, right? We sow the seed and we trust that God's going to give the increase in his day and his time. How many of you in here, you volunteer in one way, shape, or form within our kids' ministries? Would you raise your hand for me? Raise it nice and high, okay? Praise God for these people. Praise God for these people. (laughs) Because today, we're having this conversation, and your kids are being loved on. Your kids are hearing the word of God taught. Your grandkids are hearing the truth of the gospel presented in a way that they will understand. Praise God for these individuals. Because so many of them are planting seeds that they will never see the fruit of. So many of us are planting seeds we will never see the fruit of. But let me tell you this. I believe many of the next group leaders, the next generation of group leaders, the next generation of deacons, as we talked about a minute ago, the next generation of missionaries, of church planters. For all we know, the next pastor of Heritage Baptist Church is in our kids' ministry today. But that's a fruit that we're not, many of us going to reap. Let me tell you, if one of them is the next pastor, I'm leaving because there's only a couple of them that aren't my kids. I'm just kidding. We're all in trouble if that's the case. But listen, here's the thing. They're going to fight different battles than we're fighting. My generation is fighting different battles than many of your generations did. And that's okay. Because God placed your generation here for a battle, for a reason and for a season. And God has placed my generation here for a reason and a season. And I and we together are trying to prepare the next generation for the reason and the season that God has placed them here. And we may never see the fruit 
of the work that we're doing. We're not even promised tomorrow. I had a conversation with the family just before the service. They were at a funeral for a 32-year-old a couple weeks ago. In case you're wondering how old I am, that's barely older than me. 32. Listen, we're not promised tomorrow. That's how it is. And so as we plant seeds, we have to anticipate we are not planting seeds necessarily for ourselves. Do you know how long, this is based on Google, for those of you who uh, know more about this fruit, feel free to tell me afterwards. Uh, It takes somewhere between about five and eight years to bear fruit from a fruit-bearing tree. Somewhere in that range, depending on the tree. About five to eight years, give or take. In fact, there's even a type of palm tree that takes a hundred years to bear its fruit. Why do they, why do they still exist? Well, because they get planted knowing that the next person, someone else is going to reap it. If we were to plant one of those right now, I would never eat the fruit of it. My kids would not eat the fruit of it. Maybe their grandkids would eat the fruit, reap the fruit of it. But yeah, people, so why? So that another generation can reap the fruit that's been sowed. And so as we look at this picture, we have to understand that we don't reap fruit in the same season that it's planted in. We want to, right? I want to. I want to stick the thing in the ground and I want to come back the next day. In fact, I don't even want to have to wait till the next day. I'm probably going to put it in the ground and then run over to my uh, Aldi, Shorter Lions, and I'm going to get fruit there. Right? Because I'm not going to be patient enough to wait until that thing blossoms and bears fruit. But that's how fruit is born. That's how fruit takes place. And I want you to also understand this. We can't decide how much fruit will grow or when it will come. We can't decide how much fruit will grow or when it will come. That's not for you to decide. It's not for me to decide. I can't plant a seed and say, hey, in five years, this tree is going to bear X amount of fruit. It doesn't work that way. I don't decide when or how much fruit. But here's what I can determine, and here's what you can determine. We can determine to sow so that there is a harvest to reap. We can determine to sow so that there is a harvest to reap. And as Jesus gets into this, he speaks of this, and he says, these prophets and righteous people, what does he call them? Righteous people long to see what you see. They didn't see it, so they gave up. So they quit. So they walked away. So they stopped Sowing seed, right? No, they're righteous people. They continued knowing that many of these promises, they would not be the ones to immediately be the recipients of. And then Jesus goes on, and because um, the disciples are a lot like you and I, and we need an explanation, he explains it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And so here, these are those on the path as the sower goes out and sows the seed. This individual is the one that hears, but they don't understand. The gospel and its message reaches the ear and goes no further. They do not understand it. They do not conceptualize it. They do not believe it. They hear it, and that is done. Understand this, the path is the one that hears the gospel, but does not understand the need. 
They hear the gospel, but they do not understand the need. That seed falls on their hearts. That seed falls on their ears and they reject saying, hey, we're done with this. It's time to be finished. And then it goes no further. But the evil one, our adversary, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, he comes along and he snatches it away before it's able to take root. Not only that, but then we see the rocky ground. As for what seed, verse 20, was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And so verse 20 seems to be a hopeful, uplifting voice. Uh, Hey, they receive it with joy. Yes, we celebrate with, but yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. But watch this, when tribulation or persecution arises, the day that life becomes difficult, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, this individual realizes that there are days that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, can we say, there are days that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. Fair? Yeah. When those days come, those planted on rocky soil, what happens? The hardships begin to wear on them. And there is no depth of root. And so when those hardships come, just like the sun beats down on those little seedlings, what takes place? They shrivel. They die. The world overcomes them because of the difficulties that take place. And so this rocky soil is the one that is excited by the gospel, but is turned away by the difficulties of life. Paul writes of one man by the name of Demas. And this Demas is described in this next area. Demas, he writes, has forsaken him. How? Why? Because of the thorns. And so we see this next one because verse 21, yet he has no, this is the uh, stony soil, no root in himself. He endures for a while. Tribulation and persecution arises. Immediately he falls away. The one sown among thorns, verse 22, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so what happens? Just like a seed that falls on ground and the weeds overcome it, the weeds overtake it, that seed falls into the heart of this one, begins to germinate. And then what happens? The cares of the world. What does it say? The deceitfulness of riches. Can I tell you this? Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, lies. Is anyone surprised by that? Caught anyone off guard? (laughs) Whoa. He lies. And so he tells us that riches will make us happy. If we have enough money in this bank account, oh man, then we'll be comfortable and without stress and without worry. Listen, can I just confront that right now? There are a lot of rich, miserable people in this world. There are a lot of rich, miserable people in this world. And in fact, some of the most miserable people I've ever met are wealthy. I could tell you stories. I'm not kidding you. Individuals who are the most miserable people I've ever met had everything the world could offer. Just a couple, uh, a couple of years ago, I sat across the table from a gentleman, one of the um, hot shots in the auto industry in Toledo, one of the big, ran multiple car dealerships, all the things you could hope for, sat across the table from me, weeping because his marriage was falling apart. You know what? He had earned millions of dollars managing dealerships over the last few years. Wealthy individual had every membership, kids went to the best schools, all the things you could hope for, weeping because he couldn't save his marriage. Listen, it doesn't make you happy. The deceitfulness of riches. 
Let's hear what Jesus is speaking of. And so this is the soil. This is the soil where the thorny ground is the one that hears the gospel, but makes other things priorities. Makes other things priorities. Not just money. Don't take it as that's the only thing. It's just money. And I don't have any money, so I can't worship it anyways. Well, first of all, false, but anything. Anything that's a priority other than Jesus Christ. Which brings us now to the good soil. The good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. He understands as would be revealed by Christ and his teaching and his preaching that he is a sinner in need of a savior. And that savior is Jesus. The one who came, died on the cross on behalf of those sins, was buried and raised again. And they receive that and they understand that. And this good ground is the one that responds to the gospel and bears fruit. The good ground is the one that responds to the gospel and bears fruit. And understand even here, as, as we look at this, as we see this, they hear the word, they understand it, they receive that seed. And then as it bears fruit, ancient interpreters have said that in their day, they expected a five to tenfold increase for the things that they sowed. But as we look at the passage here, we see verse number 23, that which is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. You see, as you look at this, this was more than anyone would ever expect from sowing the seed. This is in greater abundance than anyone would ever expect from sowing the seed. Understand this with me. Planning for fruitlessness is planning for bad soil. Planning for fruitlessness is planning for bad soil. Because here he tells us that when that harvest begins, when the seed that has fallen on good ground begins to bear fruits, we can anticipate we can anticipate it. And just looking at this parable, we can understand, number one, that good soil exists. Good soil exists. You say, well, I sowed the seed of the gospel and it always only falls on good soil exists. If there wasn't good soil for the seed, Jesus isn't telling us this parable. If there's none that are ready to hear it, he's not telling us this parable. And a few chapters earlier, he's not telling us, look at the harvest fields. They're ripe unto harvest. You know what we're missing? Laborers. That's not what a man who understands that there's nothing, no fruitfulness. No, he understands the fruitfulness of the soil. And so as we look at this, farmers know quite well that some of the seed will not, be, will not bear fruit. Especially in this day and age that they're sowing by hand, sowing the soil. They understand that this seed sometimes will be caught by the wind and blown onto the paths. So what do they do? Do they look at the good ground and say, you know what? I'm not going to sow on that good ground because I'm afraid of it going into the path. And so they avoid the path entirely and only sow on the areas of the good ground far away from the path. Is that what happens? Listen, if you are going to get a 30, 60, 100 fold increase, or if you need percentages, 3,000, 6,000, 10,000% increase, are you going to sow only in the middle of your field? What are you going to do? You're going to sow that seed. You're going to sow that seed. And if some of it falls on the bad soil, if some of it falls on the pathway, okay. But I'm going to sow on every inch of good soil I can. I'm not going to walk over something thinking it might be bad soil or that maybe the wind will come and blow this seed off. Listen, I'm going to saturate this soil with seed if I understand that the seed is going to bring fruit. And let me ask you this, church. As these individuals sow seed in confidence, knowing that even some of the seed is wasted, nevertheless, the harvest will come. 
Who will grow a greater crop? The frugal sower who fears to spread the seed? The fearful one who will avoid by, by yards and by meters the, 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 the places where the seed may not take root? Or the generous sower who spreads it into all of the good ground that he can find? Who grows a greater crop? Who grows a greater crop? What does Jesus say about those who sow and those who reap? He says, those who sow sparingly will reap, but those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And so the sower goes out and the sower sows. And think about this here. Jesus gives us four types of soil. What if 25% of the ground that we sow on were good soil? What kind of a crop would we get? What would we do if we knew that 25% of the ground that we sowed on would bring forth good fruit? What would we do with the seed? If we knew it's going to bring forth 30, 60, 100, we'd be scattering that all day. We'd be sowing that. I mean, we'd be sowing that 24-7. If we knew it was going to bring forth 30, 60, 100, and 25% of it's going to do that, math every time. What is the seed? This is the gospel of the word of God. So today we have individuals in here. All of us, our hearts are like one of these soils. All of our hearts are similar to one of these soils. Maybe you're in here and you say, I'm like that pathway. I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. And I just I don't understand the need for it. Maybe you say, hey, I'm, you know what? I'm like that thorny ground where the, the seed gets in. But man, I struggle. I struggle to pull those weeds out and I let it get choked out by the cares of this world. Uh, by, the, by the deceitfulness of riches. Or maybe you're like that stony ground where the root begins and then when hardships come, you just say, ah, that's a little too much for me. Or, prayerfully, like the good ground where the seed bears fruit in a heart 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And for those of us who are in here and the word of God is bearing fruit in our lives, what are we doing with that fruit? What are we doing with the seeds that, of the gospel? Are we sowing it or are we keeping it for ourselves? Are we frugally placing it where we only know it will bear fruit? Or are we taking that seed and saying, hey, I'm going to give it to anyone who will listen? Because what does the sower do? Is the sower responsible for the growth of the crop? Is that his job? The sower does what? It's in the name. Sows. So how do we respond and what do we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ?